Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome once again to Hang On Soupy. I'm your host, Caleb Soupy Spinner. Welcome to the show once again, powered by Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio. We hope you've enjoyed the past few episodes right now. We are talking with Andy DeOsa, an editor for Yahoo Sports, a guy who's become familiar with both the city of L.A. and Boston. What familiar, you know, a rivalry between those two cities, of course, which we'll talk about later in the show and two of the best sports markets in the United States, dare I say. Andy, thanks for coming on. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Caleb. Happy to be here. So. I, I got to talk to you about this really cool experience you had with the Boston Bruins. Uh, get the get the people to know you because this is a really cool opportunity. You know, everybody wishes to be at, you know, one of like when at a game when something miraculous happens or, you know, the big moments in sports. And you were at one of those. Yeah. So it was it was a blessing for sure. It was a blessing for sure. Um, basically, I, I went to school in Boston, my undergrad career, four years there. And one of my editors from my online publication that I wrote for had a connection with a Boston Bruins communications team person. And he found a way to get us a credential press pass to every home match. So the only thing was that we weren't really utilizing it that much at the time because we didn't have that many writers. So kind of like as a new writer and as an opportunity, I was like, you know, let me try to uh, navigate in this in this area. And it happened to be that the first year that I was covering the team was the year that they won the Stanley Cup. So I was there for a lot of the home games throughout the regular season. and then I also was interning at Nesson, which was uh, which is our local TV station over there. So I was working doing Bruins coverage there. But towards the end of the year, when you know they started getting towards their playoff run, there was a lot more interest, obviously. So we had a few more writers that wanted to kind of get on board. So they kind of rotated us a little bit. But luckily, uh, through the playoffs, I was and I don't know if you know well if people remember, but that was a historic playoff run for them. Three game sevens, it was it was insane. But I was there for a lot for the double overtime game uh, in the Canadian series for uh, game five, which was ridiculous. I didn't go to game seven. We sent another writer. Then I was there for most of the Tampa series for game seven when they clinched the, 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 the ticket to the Stanley Cup. And then just covering them throughout the year, really, it was, it was crazy because I was only in my second, third year of college. So that was off the rip, just a, a super great experience. Just, you know, kind of be boxed learn a little bit of the of the professionalism of the craft and also just mingle with a lot of the local reporters. I mean, you, as a kid that grew up in New England, you get to see a lot of these people on TV, you get to read a lot of them, hear a lot of them. So kind of just being around that was like my really, my first introduction to like that mainstream media, which was, was pretty amazing. Because like I said, it was in the middle of a Stanley Cup run and I was in Boston that summer when they had the parade. So it was, it was a culmination of everything that was pretty great, but awesome experience for sure. I'd have to say, if I had to think on it, you know, the biggest sports moment I think I've ever been a part of was in 2018. I was in Cleveland in the locker room in the game that Baker Mayfield said that I woke up feeling dangerous quote. So I think, you know, it, it pales in comparison to that, to what you just told us there. But also I got to ask you, because I was thinking, you know, as, as I was, you know, doing research for the show, I was thinking a guy who grew up near Boston in Rhode Island and a guy who lives in LA, obviously the Lakers and the Celtics is a huge rivalry in sports. Where do you fall on that? Celtics yeah, or man. Lakers? No, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm New England all the way through and through across the board. I just, I've been in LA for two years now, and it's actually pretty funny because I moved out to LA probably a few weeks after the Red Sox beat the Dodgers in the World Series, and it was a, a month and a half before the Patriots beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. So it was, it was a time, a good time for that. Um, and I make sure I let all my LA friends know that my alliance still still runs with home. But, you know, I'm happy for the Dodgers for sure, especially that they got Mookie Betts. And I can't say I'm happy for the Lakers, but I, I do uh, – after the year that we had and, and LeBron going over there, I can't say I'm mad about it either. But, yeah, New England all the way for sure. 
I was going to say that's right about the time that LeBron made the decision to go to L.A., which is, you know, convenient timing. You joined, you came into L.A. right around like the conversion of several of the great moments in sports in, in recent years. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. I mean, it wasn't anything that I anticipated, but I mean, with the, with the way that the Lakers built their roster up, with the way that the Clippers did it, and then obviously, like I said earlier, Mookie Betts going to the Dodgers and them having that run. Although the Dodgers have always been a pretty good team, and you kind of realize being there now that how that city really loves the Dodgers a lot. So it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Oh yeah, LA loves their team. Same with Boston. Same with you know my native Cleveland and Columbus now. So there's a lot of cities that that dive into their sports and and as they should. So let's get into our main conversation here today. I, you're a sports writer, obviously, and now a managing editor at, at Yahoo Sports. What got you into sports journalism? It's uh, it's funny. I mean, it's not really like a traditional story. It was more of a process of elimination, if I'm being honest. When I was looking where to go to college, I, I knew I wanted to go to Boston. I didn't want to stay in Rhode Island, where I'm from, but I wanted to stay in the area. Boston just seemed like a, a good idea to me. I had an older cousin that went to school there, kind of just, you know, I used to visit him a lot. So I was a big fan. but. Really, I was just like, what major can I pick that does not involve me having to take math courses? Because I'm not a fan of math. So it really, that really was how I ended up in journalism. It was a process of elimination, like I said, between me and my advisor. And, you know, I just thought journalism just sounded cool. I never really had an experience in like any journalistic writing. I knew I liked to read certain aspects of, you know, work. I, do, I did like to write and my teachers did tell me I was a decent writer. So I was like, you know, whatever, I can make this work. But when I got to college is when I was like, I'm not going to just be like a news journalist. I was like, what I'm going to do is I just might as well just hop into sports. Like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's what I do. I watch it. I like, I've always been a huge sports fan. So that's really how it started. And then luckily through the extracurricular activities in school with the online publication, we had a, uh, a in, in studio radio show at school too. So I used to do programs on that and do like interactive sports shows. So it was kind of just something that happened quickly, but I realized very early on with the opportunities that I had in Boston and at Suffolk that, it could be something serious. So I just kind of went all in on it. I chuckle at that because that's exactly the reason I got into this. Now, aside from it was, you know, the love for sports. I wasn't good. I don't know. You know, I was a gentle lineman, which you can't have, and an uncoordinated basketball player, which also doesn't mix. Uh, and then, you know, I love the style. I love the dress fashion there. So I, I completely get where you're coming from. And math, no. Anything beyond basic addition and subtraction, nope. Not going to have any part of it. I'm good on that. <laughs> I'm all set. I will calculate stats for doing to do broadcast prep, but don't ask me to do anything else after that. Trigonometry, no. That's as close as I get. It's actually funny. I wrote a story last year, I believe, and it was all about numbers. And I was like, well, how did I end up here? Like, it was just a stat-filled story, but that's the only way I could relay the message I was trying to relay. And I just laughed when I put it out. I was like, this is probably one of the worst things that I've ever had an idea of doing. But the story was good nonetheless. Suffolk University, where you went to college, is located in Boston, you know, one of the biggest sports cities in the United States. Tell me about your time in college. And, you know, you started off the show talking about one of the opportunities you got from your time at Suffolk. So tell me about the others that you were presented with studying in the city of Boston. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, you think about college towns, you think about Boston, right? Top of the list. There's just so many schools over there, so much diversity. You learn so much from being there. And as I mentioned, it's not a far away from home for me. It's really only a 45 minute drive from Pawtucket, Rhode Island, where, I, where, I, where I'm from. So, you know, it was one of those things that it was far enough, but it was close enough. I learned a lot. And as you mentioned, you know, a, a town like that, when it comes to sports, what I was doing, the market that I was in at the time. So you have to you have to remember, like Boston is is a great sports town. But if we're talking about the past 20 years, just in its own sense, or even the past 10 years, like you could separate that from, you know, the, the past, the 80s that the Celtics had or things like that. So, I mean, I'm talking about right 
I mean, I, I just missed the Celtics uh, championship right before I went to school because I was in 2008. I started in 2009, but I was there for what? Two, three Patriots parades, the Bruins parade, like Red Sox. So it was like, it's just everything was was there happening quickly. And for that same reason, I was offered so many different opportunities to kind of navigate the, the journalism industry, offered, you know, just writing gigs on the side, contributing to websites and things like that just kind of helped build me up. And, you know, after you get more experience, you get more confidence, you build more relationships. And it's like, it just became, like I said earlier, something that I really saw that like, this is a feasible thing. Let's, you know, go all in. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons as a sports journalist, that's what you look for when you go into college is where can I get the most experience? Where can I get the most opportunities? Where can I immediately go in and start writing in, in your case? So it, it sounds like Suffolk was a perfect fit for you. And, and I know it was obviously you're in one of the best spots you can be as a, as a writer, the editor of a major you know, a, a major sports network there. There are a lot of sports that Boston's known for. We've mentioned, I think, the three biggest ones in the show already, the Boston Celtics and the NBA, the New England Patriots and the NFL, and the Boston Red Sox and the MLB. How did you get into soccer, the sport you currently edit for uh, for Yahoo? It's funny because, like, I was telling you off camera, I've covered a lot of different sports. And the thing about me and soccer is I've, I've grown up playing soccer. So I think that was probably the easiest way for me to kind of get back to it. Cause it's something I, I was, you know, born with and, and part of my uh, tradition, my culture. So it, it was something I always really wanted to do, but the, the situation never really presented itself as prominently in Boston because of all these different sports teams that are basically hogging the spotlight to, for the lack of better terms. And I've always been a, a big fan of new England revs over there. And, you know, obviously international soccer and around the globe is something that people, you know, watch a lot, but, it was uh, an opportunity that when I got to LA, it was, it was perfect. It, it really, I, I feel like I'll probably say that a lot throughout this interview, but like a lot of things have fallen into place for me that I've been like really grateful for that. It was just a perfect situation. And, and covering uh, soccer was one of those because I'm going into an LA market where the LA galaxy are the biggest team in MLS history, the, the most championships. And then you have LAFC, which is a new team in LA. So it was both angles. I got to cover both sides. I got to basically get on board with the new team that was only in their second year of existence when I started covering them. So, you know, they wanted all the coverage as possible. They helped me out a lot. And it was just like a lot of things that, that inter interchangeable aspects that like it was perfect, you know, and then the galaxy went and got one of the biggest soccer players ever and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And he was a walking headline. So anything that he said was a story and, and clickbait and newsworthy. So it was, it was really just a, a great situation. And now I'm pretty, pretty comfortable just, being there on the, on the floor with both teams and just get, uh, covering as much as I can, finding different storylines and being able to really write what I want to, which is, which is my, my favorite part about it. Yeah. I was sad when he went to Milan, I think it was right. Yeah. When, when Zlatan went there, I liked him. But the other thing that, that will always have LAFC in my mind is it's owned by Will Ferrell, at least partially. Right. Like he found, correct, he correct. started that club. Right. Yeah. And their ownership group, I think, uh, is is really incredible because it's it's as, as LA as it could get. It's you know just a bunch of celebrities, a bunch of former athletes. Magic Johnson's basically at every game. They do this Falcon tradition before the games that there's like a Falcon that flies around the stadium, and a famous person brings them out. I mean, from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to whoever else, LA legend. So it's really a LA a LA show, as as they put it. But yeah. You've got that connection to Hollywood there without even, you know, trying the connection to Will Ferrell and all these, you know, Hollywood celebrities. Um, looking back at your college career in 2011, you became managing editor of the Suffolk Voice, you know, the, the newspaper at Suffolk University. 
that's a that's a position that carries responsibility. We talked about in the first episode of Hang On Soupy the responsibilities of a good manager. And while you're a managing editor, and we talked with you know two managers, sales managers, there there are still those commonalities when it comes to managing people and being responsible for more work than just your own. So did you feel any pressure being thrusted into a position of responsibility during college? Yeah, most definitely. It was it was kind of twofold because it was I knew it was a lot of responsibility, and I also knew it was responsibility that I was looking forward to taking. When I got into that role, I I kind of told myself, you know. My first two years, I was really aggressive with writing. I mean, I, I always say this. I may have not been the best uh, writer on staff because we had a lot of very talented people. But for damn sure, I was the most consistent writer. I mean, I wrote, I wrote a lot, weekly, daily. And I was, I was pushing out content. And I think that's what kind of got me into that flow. But I told myself when I got that managing editor role that I was going to take a step back on the writing. Not completely, but just take a step back and, and kind of let our other writers grow and let our other writers do things and, and pitch ideas and not necessarily be the one that is like the go-to sports writer. You know, I wanted to get our, our staff more collaborative and that's really what I focused on. So it was a bit of, of a challenge because, you know, I, I, I love to write and, you know, there might be story ideas that I, I prefer to write about, but I was like, you know what, let me, let me give this to a different writer. Let me help somebody else, you know, do things. And as a quick nugget, like just for an example, I, um, there's one of our writers, one of my friends that was on staff at the time that I sent him to his first uh, Bruins game, you know, since we had the credential, I was like, Hey man, I know you're a hockey guy. Like, what do you think about covering this game? You know, go do your thing. I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through. I'll let you know how the experience is, whatever the case may be. He works for the Bruins now. He's been with the Bruins for two years. He's, he's the reporter for the team. So just little things like that. Like it's a, uh, it's always gratifying when you get to help people out because I wasn't just in it for my stuff. I was in it obviously for the publication for us to grow, but you know, for other people to grow as well. So it was a lot of responsibility, but I also did like the part because we were in a transition phase and my uh, editor in chief and myself, we said our one goal is to remodel this website. And then just once we graduate, it's, it's on whoever else's hands. And we were able to kind of revamp the website, give it a whole new identity, a whole new look. We won awards at, at the college. So it was kind of like our stamp of approval. Like we did a, a good job on this. So, I mean, like you said, it's, it's not easy to manage people, but luckily our staff was open. It wasn't like we were like, hey, you need to write about this. You need to write about that. So we were really open with that. And I think that's what helped us kind of succeed, not just me, but the group as a whole. And that's, I think, what makes some of the best managers is people who have done it before. You know, Alexa Miller talked about in our first episode, they have people, they have their managers. They like to have people who have carried the bag or have done the job. You were a writer you know, your freshman and sophomore year. So, you know, the kind of opportunities that writers are looking for, especially writers at Suffolk in Boston, uh, in the city of Boston. So I think that's that experience of if I were still a writer, what would I want from my manager or from my editor in this case? I think that that gives you a lot more of a personal relationship with these, you know, with the people you're managing and allows you to best serve them. Would you agree with that? A thousand percent, a thousand percent. Because at the end of the day, the way I see it, it's like, you know, we're talking about a managerial level, but it's also college. Like we're all still college students. We are still trying to navigate and juggle a lot of other facets of life. And then at that time, I was also transitioning into more responsibilities off campus with, with the journalism career. So it was just kind of a perfect opportunity for me to say like, hey, this is where I'm at now. Like you've seen the success that we've had as a group. Like it, let's take advantage of this and let's do it. And I'm lucky to say that a lot of the writers that we did have, they take advantage and ended up going to great places and doing great things. So it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. And speaking about transitions and opportunities towards the end of your college career, you got a position with the Boston Globe. How did you get that job and what advice would you give other college sports journalists who are looking for work after college? 
Yeah, it was um, just really honestly just something that I saw an opening and I was like, hey, man, this is I think my resume is pretty good for, you know, a young college student at the time. And I was like, let me just take a chance and see, you know, the worst that, that can happen is they say no or I don't get an interview, whatever the case may be. I did end up getting called for an interview and I will never forget that day because I was late and I was like, oh, this is already a bad start. Relying on the train system in Boston is not the easiest thing to do. I was sweaty. It was it was a mess. But, you know, it was it was a good interview besides those factors. And um, it was it was beautiful. It was a, a six month co-op. Uh, so it was part of credits for school. So my last year, I didn't really take too many classes because that co-op was going towards the credits. But then after those six months were up, they kept me on board uh, as a part time employee. And it was it was it was great. I always say to myself with all the history, the short history that I have in the industry, that that was my favorite experience because uh, something different about newspaper and newspaper etiquette and writing and responsibilities, writing on deadline, writing on a word count. It's just a lot that you learn and obviously professionalism and being in a newspaper that's one of the most known in the country, one of the biggest sports sections in the country. Um, I just took a lot from it. It was a short year, but it was also a long year. I was on the high school uh, beat, so I got to cover, like I told you, legit, legitimately every high school sport. I mean, to field hockey, to wrestling uh, competitions. So it was an experience I, I wish I loved it. And I think the advice I would give is really what I said to, to begin, like, you know, take your chances. I think people sometimes get a little scared. They see certain positions that they might want to get. And they're like, I don't know how to, how I'm going to do this. And like I said, the worst thing somebody could tell you is, no, I always tell people there's no harm in going through the process and going through interview process, especially if you get to those points, because you could learn something from every interview, regardless if it's good or bad. I mean, I don't care if you had your best interview or your worst interview, they're always teaching experiences. So I think it's just that, man, be confident in your work, go in and be yourself, because obviously you're not going to want to go in and, and try to sell yourself on, on a job or on a past or history that you may not have. So, you know, you want to really be confident. And I think that that's what's going to get you there, because even though I was late, I said, well, I mean, I can't do nothing about that now. Like that wasn't really my fault. But now I'm here. Let me sit down and really talk about, you know, what I have to offer. And, and I think that's what, what got me to the point that I that I was at there. And after your time at the Globe was over, confidence, of course, got you into a job at one of the largest, if not the largest sports journalism companies in the world, which, you know, is it, this is this is big here. So tell me about how you became an assist, an assistant editor, excuse me, at ESPN. Yeah, man, that was that was another thing. It was it was just perfect timing. I actually interviewed my interview process was long, as you would probably expect for an ESPN interview process. Um <laughs> And it was actually, a. I was interviewing for a position that was four, there was four openings. And basically it wasn't really a job. It was more of like a glorified co-op, if you would say. It was an, a digital media associates program that they were letting four people get the positions. And what they would do is every three months you would get rotated into a new role in the company. So you would start maybe with digital, then maybe go to radio, then maybe go to uh, ESPN Films, ESPN Magazine, and then kind of just see what you like. And the goal was obviously was for those four people to, once that year was over, stay on board with one of the positions and, you know, go from there. Unfortunately, I didn't get that position, but as part of the interview process, they brought in about 20 people and it was just a day long, like going uh, to the ESPN campus on Bristol and just interviewing. But luckily I think what they were really good at doing is seeing that they had a really talented pool. So they let us interview for other positions while we were there. So the position I ended up getting was not the one I interviewed for initially, but was one that I interviewed for that day. Um, and it was just, once again, going through the process and just like, just, just basically talking to people all day. And I, for that one, I definitely felt confident when I left there, I was like, if I don't get a job off right at this, like I just spent a whole day here, you know, talking to everybody about a whole bunch of different things. And that was after, you know, the four, maybe three, four phone interviews that I did 
just to get to that point. So that was, that was really cool because it was, it was a good experience being there, obviously getting to know the people that, you know, that were in that, in that group, that panel of applicants. And I think if I'm not mistaken, like seven, besides the four people, I think it was like seven of us all together, maybe eight that got jobs from that pool. So it was cool because, you know, you would see each other on campus and they still kept us kind of close as a group, even though we weren't the digital media associates, we still kind of kept close as a group. So that was pretty nice. That was pretty nice. And that leads into, you know, building connections, how important that is in in sports journalism. A lot of people say it's, you know, about who you know, but I'd say it's about what you know, the experiences and who you know. It's it's twice as important, you know, in, in our industry here. And connections, you know, make or break you, honestly, in your career. Um, working for ESPN is the dream of almost every sports journalist, like I like I mentioned earlier. What skills do you think set you apart from those other sports journalists that you interviewed with and helped you catch the eye of ESPN? Yeah, I think I, I was lucky in, in two in two uh, areas. I think my the first area that I really was like pushing as part of the interview was that I was coming from a newspaper. And I don't know if a lot of the people in that group were coming from newspapers. They might have been coming from digital outlets and stuff like that. And I was always asked, like, what what is it about the transition that you would like to make? Because obviously going from a newspaper to ESPN is night and day, really, uh, when it comes to the craft. And it was kind of one of those things that I was like, hey, listen, this is what I love. This is what I what I what I really like to continue doing. But I do realize that there's a shift in the industry. Everything is going digital, things like that. So I really was like kind of talking about the shift in the way journalism is changing and how like you could take those skills from a newspaper background and and have it added to a digital, uh, you know, to a digital space. And I think that really helped me because I think people were kind of like, maybe he just wants to write. Maybe he just wants to, you know, just be a writer, which initially is what I told him. I was like, I would still like to write. But if you're going to offer me a position that I have to do digital work, editorial digital work, like I'm not, you know, I'm not against that because I understand, you know, how the how the industry is now. And then two, which I guess was a, always a, a big benefit for me is that I'm bilingual. And I also interviewed for a uh, job with the ESPN FC group. And they were I mean, actually ended up turning that one down and taking the other one. But that was because it was more of a soccer thing. And we kind of connected to the, you know, you could help the ESPN uh, Deporte side. And you could also help the ESPN domestic side. So uh, those two things really helped because, I mean, obviously, when you have things like uh, companies like that and situations like that, anybody that could help with, you know, translations, obviously, with so many um, Hispanic players in all sports, specifically in baseball, you know, things like that are really beneficial. And even though I didn't take this, the the ESPN Deportes, ESPN FC side, like I still helped them out a lot throughout my time there. I still did a lot of, you know, translating work for people. I still helped my ESPN.com uh, side the same way. So, I mean, I think those two things really helped me out the most. And then, you know, not, as you mentioned, you know, you come with a background from being able to cover a, a Stanley Cup run. You come from a background from being in a city like Boston, a newspaper like that. Like those things kind of speak for themselves, but once again, going back to that interview, I guess, etiquette, you have to go in there and be confident in your own sense. So it was a culmination of things. But once again, I think it was just everything was uh, aligned perfectly for me, thankfully. Ah, ah, so ESPN Deportes, that means hablas español, si? Si, señor, si, señor. Si, si, bien, bien, muy bien, uh, también, también. Excelente. Not as, not as good as you, of course, <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, um, actually just got back from my intensive Spanish class. So there you go. Nice. That's a, that's a fun thing. That's, that's interesting. It's an interesting skill. I can, I think I can say that you're the first sports journalist that I've met, albeit virtually, that I've met who speaks another language and maybe just everybody else that I've met does a good job of hiding it. But that's, 
that's something that, you know, going through high school, taking Spanish classes, that was something that had occurred to my head is, do I turn this into, you know, a job going to Spain and and talking about stuff and, and going to, you know, some of these other uh, Spanish speaking countries and that opens doors for you. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, you know, it's, it's something that you don't know when it's going to arise. You don't know, like, like you said, maybe people do have other, you know, talents or other bilingual capacities, but maybe they don't talk about it until the situation arises. I mean, we'll talk about this a little later, probably an interview, but I've, I've done full interviews in Spanish, like not one word of English really? and, then tra- and then just transcribed it on the fly in English and then written a story in English completely. So it's like those, those things. And especially in a city like Los Angeles, where it's basically like being in a Latin American country when it comes to the Spanish population, it's, it's uh, something that definitely is, is helpful as, as all can be. So now we'll talk about, you know, your, your current job right now. You currently are an editor for Yahoo Sports, which puts you in charge of a large amount of content from a large amount of writers. You know, it's like what we talked about during your college time, but, you know, amplified almost tenfold, a hundredfold. What kinds of things do you look for when you're reviewing an article before it goes up on Yahoo's website? Yeah, it's a process. It's definitely, you know, something that, you know, obviously you're scanning first and foremost for mistake and flow and things like that. But I think one of the things I really like about us is that, our main editor is a, a journalistic guy. He comes from a newspaper background in, in San Antonio. So it's something that we basically are really into the into the craft of really honing on being like journalistic and letting people tell the stories that they want. We don't we're not really a group that's like, hey, we need to write this. We're more so it's like, hey, what do you really want to write? What could we really make a different story? So I think that we really try to capture that essence in everything that we do. And obviously, I, I think for our editorial purposes, you know, industry you have to present things certain ways and make sure that you know certain headlines get up and we know how that how that goes but i think the thing that i like a lot is that the uh, good stories that we have they're all you know from different aspects and they're all different type of situations and today uh unfortunately it's, it's kobe bryant's one year anniversary being of that fatal accident and we have so many different stories from just you know obviously everybody's publishing a lot of content today but i just read one of our stories that was uh, basically speaking to the pilot's family and the pilot's friend. And I, I don't think that we've heard that side of, of what had happened in a year. So, you know, it's th- different things like that, that really allow us to kind of stand out. And I, and I love that because I think storytelling is that way. You know, I, I tell people that are in the industry growing and still in it, like we could all go to the same game and all have completely different stories. And I think that's what makes a good story. So I think that's really what I look for the most is, is how could we make this stand out? You know, I'm not into the, into the notion of like, Hey, they wrote this, let's present it as this, you know, I want them to get their message out. And I want us to relay that when we get it up on the website and publish it on, you know, social media and on the app and whatever the case may be. Not regurgitating the same information, the same take that, you know, 90 other networks and 90 other writers have before you, right. You gotta, you gotta be different. That's an aspect of journalism. I'm early in my career here at Ohio state, but that's something that, you know, is, is taught day one is find your angle set yourself apart because sure there are some people who say the same things as others but they say it in a way that gets them more popular so like they say it with you know more energy or they they yell it like Stephen A. Smith does and and that's great but you know the way that you really set yourself apart is you look at this and you see I, I've heard it described to me as, as this big ball of yarn as you get every sporting event every free agency signing is this big ball of yarn and it's a journalist's job to see how many different threads you can pull from that ball of yarn and then run with that. Can I look at the Monday night football game uh, that the Browns had against the Ravens? And can I pull 
how clutch Baker was in late game situations, how important Lamar Jackson is, how in pro, how important the tight ends are for, for the Baltimore Ravens now. What what all can I take from this event or this game? And I think that's something that, you know, I'm glad you touched on because that is such an important part of, of the sports journalism profession. I won't be able to speak to this because I'm not as much of a soccer fan as I probably should be living in Columbus with the MLS champs. But in your last article for Yahoo, you talked about Javier Hernandez being one of the things that's keeping the LA Galaxy from success. So for my soccer fans out there, how big of an impact do you think the improvement of Hernandez would have on the team? And what do you think are some of the other issues that are keeping the Galaxy from success? Oh, man, that's a, that's a great question. It's uh, It was one of the signings, uh, probably I would say one of the top, I'll just say top five for the sake of argument, uh, top five signings in MLS history. I mean, you bring in a, a player of that caliber, which is one of the most beloved Mexican players ever to a market like LA, which is Mexico is right there. You have the fans. It's Los Angeles. It's the biggest team in the league. There was just a lot going into it, a lot of excitement. Then obviously the rivalry with LAFC, Crosstown Rivals, Carlos Vela, who was the king of the league, who was a, a, a childhood friend of uh, Javier Hernandez. So there was so many storylines. Everybody was so excited about it. Obviously, the year didn't go as planned with the pandemic, but there were still games and he was terrible. So I think just flat out throughout the year, I was waiting for the right opportunity to just cover that moment and kind of relay that message. But it's uh, I think it was just nothing. Nothing went well for them. You know, I think there was uh, the coach has since been fired. You know, there was, a, I think, an identity issue with the team. They weren't just meshing well. And I think they were trying to replace Latan Ibrahimovic's void with somebody that is not able to do the same type of work that he was. So I think that was the main issue there. And, you know, he's, just, I think he's still a really solid player. Uh, he's on the older side now, but that in soccer terms is not, doesn't really mean too much if they're able to play through him. They have a new coach now who, who knows the LA galaxy history, who played in the LA galaxy, who's been one of the better coaches in MLS past uh, few years. He was up in Toronto, Greg Vanny. So I think with him there, with them trying to kind of revamp that style, that identity, I think he'll obviously, well, I don't think he could have a worse year than he did last year. So I think this year will obviously be better for them. But yeah, I think the way that they signed him, the way that they went after him, the amount of money they gave him, they're, I don't want to say stuck because it sounds like a bad word, but that's basically what they are right now. So they need to make the best um, of him being there and of him of his experience. So I'm actually looking forward to this year because it could be it could be a complete turnaround. And, you know, as, as a lot of players doing across the board in sports, like when you have a situation like that, you kind of go on a little bit of a revenge tour and, this could be a year that he's like, you know what? I have a lot more to prove than I did last year when I first got here. So let's get to it. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun to follow for sure there. But it's the galaxy, man. I think that there's a lot of pressure there, regardless of who's playing because of the history that they have. So they're definitely hoping to get back to that. So if they can, it'll be fun to cover. And if they can't, um, it'll also be fun to cover. <laughs> As a Browns fan this year, I'm no stranger to surprise comebacks and switches on a dime. So I'm, I'm hoping that the LA Galaxy go through the same thing. Uh, for your sakes, you have a lot to write about and some good some good games that you get to go to. Maybe even MLS Championship question mark. Maybe that's too quick of a turnaround for that, but uh, but we'll see. But I hope you get to you know get some good experiences from this season. Andy, gracias por ver en el en el show. Uh, I think I said that right. Thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, it was a pleasure talking with you, and I hope we stay in touch. Muchas gracias a usted, hermano. I appreciate it. Uh, anything you need from me, man, I'm here. So thanks for having me again. I appreciate. Once again, I never get to use my Spanish, so I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad you. I'm glad you're able to understand it. There you go. Make sure you're always keeping up with Hang On Soupy on Instagram at Hang On Soupy on Instagram. 
Also follow our YouTube channel, Hang On Soupy. You can watch the show on Fridays, Instagram TV and YouTube on Friday. And the podcast goes out on Wednesday on Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio.com and on the SGSR SoundCloud page. Thanks a lot for Andy for coming on. Hasta luego. But until then, I'm Caleb Spinner. That's the show. I'm out of here.